weeks ago, I was in San Antonio. Uh, our, our seminary had a fellowship dinner, and it was, uh, we were there during the day for a chaplain training. We have a pretty strong chaplaincy program, and we had that training uh, at the, during the day, and that evening we had a restaurant at, on the River Rock, and we invited some alumni and donors and friends of B.H. Carroll to come and be a part. And one of those that came was cl close by. His name was Pastor Pete. He was one of our early um, graduates. Now, what's unique about Pastor Pete is he pastors a cowboy church. Now, this is the real deal. They have the arena. You know, they do the real cowboy things. Matter of fact, they even have a Monday night service for those who ride rodeo on the weekend. I mean, it's that, that serious. And so... Uh, Yes, he invited me to preach there one time. Now, as you can guess, I'm a suburban boy, not a cowboy. My only connection to cowboys, uh, my uncles on my mother's side, one's named Buddy Joe and the other one's Cheryl Ray, which you got to have in the pan. And Cheryl Ray was a real cowboy. And uh, they both grew up and happy like my dad and my mom did. And their football team were the Happy Cowboys. Which I always wondered, Dad, how'd y'all get fired up in the locker room? You know, tell jokes? What, what, what did you do? And it's kind of hard to be intimidating as you, skate, you know, run out and you're the happy cowboys. But anyway, uh, but he rode rodeo and I always wanted to, to do that, but I, I didn't. The only experience I had with really maybe being a cowboy was uh, between my junior year in high school, junior and senior year in high school, our church went to a, um, a mission trip at a Navajo Indian reservation in Tinian, New Mexico. And that was actually the week of events that I really felt like the Lord was calling me to full-time Christian ministry. And we're going to talk about calling uh, as we get ready to move out of here today. Uh, but I was convinced of that. But in that, we would, we would drive a Bronco before Broncos were cool. Uh, uh, about two hours to this little village, and we got to know the kids and the families. And one day, one of the teenage boys said, "Hey, you want to ride one of our horses?" I said, "Sure." I, you know, y'all know me. I kind of I like to try new stuff. So I was like, "Sure." Well, he didn't tell me there was no saddle. It was. He just said, "You just get up on it, and and you know, you lock your leg your." your legs around his belly, and you just go where he goes. <laughs> okay, so I took off, and I was fine until we came to the first ditch, and when his front legs hit, I kept going, and, and of course, the Indians, just the, the, the Native Americans, just laughed. They thought that was the funniest thing, so that's my only connection with cowboys, so when I go, when I went uh, to, to preach, uh, I did not dress up as a cowboy. There's nothing worse than, than, a, than a suburban guy trying to dress like a, a real cowboy. And I, so I didn't do that. But let me tell you, the connection that we had was around the gospel. That no matter what the culture is, no matter who the people are, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that connects his people together. And in that day, we had a great, uh, great uh, time of worship, a time of teaching and preaching, and uh, they understood. It didn't matter that I dressed like a suburban boy, it was that I presented the gospel. And that's what I want us to talk about today, is that no matter the culture or people you're with, 
The thing that connects with them that has eternal value is the gospel of Christ. And you have that. And even though that as we start this series of the five marks of missional living, that the first one is evangelism. And as, as soon as we say that word, you go, whoa, 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 I don't know you. Because a lot of us who grew up in the church, we think evangelism is a sales pitch. That we've got to convince somebody on our own that Jesus is who he says he is. The Bible is who he says he is. But I want to show you a passage of scripture today to help you understand that it's not about convincing others. It's about being a presence, being a witness where God has placed you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 17. And we're going to step into Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he's been to Jerusalem, he's back in Antioch, they send him out. He's coming from Thessalonica through Berea, and we'll see uh, in verse 15, he left Silas and Timothy there, and he comes by himself to Athens. So let's look what happens here. He says, while Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some advocating, uh, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Actually, that uh, word means seed picker, like a bird that goes around and picks up seeds. Uh, it, it's somebody who knows a lot of, of, of information but isn't smart. So it's, it's a pretty derogatory term. So what is this seed picker trying to say? Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about what? Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting with the Areopagus, uh, where they said to him, you know, we may, we may know what this new teaching is. May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. And then I love this next verse because uh, Luke was pretty funny. All the Athenians and foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. <laughs> so uh, not that there's anybody in our culture like that, but uh, <laughs> Luke had something to say about that. So, But what I want to do today is look at one verse. You only need to remember one verse, and it's verse 17. Uh, let's go back. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace uh, with those who happened to be there. So here's my summary statement of that, that Paul has demonstrated the place of evangelism the practice of evangelism, and the people who are the focus of evangelism. Now, this is not prescriptive. This is just an example, and we can always learn from the examples of God's people in Scripture. So uh, we're just going to watch and see what he did and see how that applies to, this, to us. By the way, let me remind you that uh, I, one of our core values is all people matter to God, therefore they matter to us. And what we're about to see is that Paul drew no lines between who he was and who they were in order to be a witness to the gospel of Christ. So first, here's the first deal, is that place 
is the platform of our witness. Now, notice I'm going to start using the word witness instead of evangelism. Because witness is if you is someone who sees and has been part of an event and tells others about that from their perspective. You get that? So it's not about telling you what it's not about convincing someone what the preacher told you or what you learned on your own about God, and they've got to believe that to be a Christian. That's not what I, I, we're talking about today. We're talking about to have this perspective that all people matter to God, therefore they matter to us, and when we come and contact them through place, that we just simply witness. We tell people our story. We tell people what God's doing in our lives today. All right? So look at the next observation that God, Paul was a witness in a place of worship, synagogue, one day a week. But notice this, he was a witness in the marketplace six days a week. One-sixth of Paul's evangelism stats, uh, strategy was in a place of worship. Six-sevenths of his evangelism strategy was in the marketplace. We in the church in America have split that. We put six-sevenths of our efforts in the place of worship to let others know about Jesus. And maybe one-seventh, maybe one day, the equivalent of a day a week, we will be in the marketplace and have opportunity to tell who Jesus is. I also realize that Paul chose the, the, the place that he, he spoke. Where was it? It was in the marketplace. Remember, part of his strategy was to take his tent making, be present in the agora or the marketplace. He would set up shop. He would, of course, sell things and make things that would, that would uh, allow him uh, to sustain his, his ministry, his life. But he also used that as a platform. So what is place? Look here. Place is somewhere we're obligated or choose to be. Your two primary places is job and home, right? Or school and home, if you're, you're still in school. So those two places, and I remember several years ago, Starbucks said, we want to be everyone else's third, we want to be everybody's third place. So that when, you, when you've done all your work, you've been all your, all your obligations, there's a third place. You have a third place. It may be your hobby. It may be your kids. It may be something that you do. But you choose, you're either obligated or choose to be there. Now notice this. Each of those places is an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. It's your mission field. See, we've always... Patrick's our mission pastor, and he went to Spain. That's our mission field. They went to Africa. He said, that's our mission field. Well, this is all true. But where God has placed you, either out of obligation or a place, or a place you choose to be, you have to be or you choose to be, that is where he's placed you to be his witness, just as Paul chose a place of worship and a marketplace. That may be a soccer field, we were there yesterday. Uh, foot, flag football field. We'll be there this afternoon. Uh, when our kids were growing up, oh, it was dance and cheerleading competitions. But we got to know, And by the way, that was before iPads. So I want you to know, I, sh I deserve Dad of the Year to go. 
to go all day to just hear the same song. And see. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but Kim and I got to know those families and those kids, and that they became our mission field. When we were in, at those events, and we were there in the week, et cetera, and we began to go out together and those kind of things. See, just remember where God has placed you is where he wants you. Now, let me offer a couple of observations about place. And here's the responses, here's the way that you may respond to the places of today. Gordon Smith is the president of Ambrose University and, um, and Seminary up in Calgary, Canada. And by the way, speaking of cowboys, Texas ain't got nothing on Calgary when it comes to cowboys and rodeo. One of the largest, uh, you, you can fact check me, but don't do it now. I think, the large, I think the largest rodeo in the world is Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada. And uh, in the midst of all of that is this university. And he wrote a book called Wisdom from uh, Babylon, which would have fit our exile series very well. But he made this observation. You may feel like this. When you get in a place, you're the minority, you're Paul in the marketplace of Athens, and you go... There's a couple of responses. One is to go along to get along response. In other words, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to watch the same shows everybody else does. I'm going to buy the same stuff everybody does. I'm going to go, you know, that's your truth, and this is my truth, and we're just, I'm not going to bother anybody. We're just going to go along to get along to live out what we think God has dreamed for us to live. A second response, he says, is the monastic response which is, and there's a true movement going on now, is, and this is the completely pulling away from uh, culture. Now, some of you would say, I'd never do that because, you know, I don't want to wear those cloaks and eat, you know, locusts and those kind of things. But you know this as well as I do. There is a Christian subculture, in our town in particular, that you can stay in. You can, you can find Christian uh, vendors, you can find Christian schools, you can find big Christian churches and normal Christian churches and just stay with those people. And many of us are tempted to do that. And I, I, that's the easiest, birds of a feather flock together. And I'm happy to, to do that. But are we a witness when we pull ourselves out of culture? The other is the opposite response is culture wars. I'm going to campaign for politicians. I'm going to picket abortion clinics. I'm going to sign petitions. I'm going to make sure this happens in our culture. I'm going to school board meetings. I'm going to make sure my, I'm going to put signs in my front yard. And everybody knows this. And we're going to fight so that the culture will become what we want it and know that it should be as a Christian culture. That has its positive and its negative. But here's one I want to offer you, and this is simply for those of you who aren't any of those. Activists, <laughs> introverted, pacifist, or, or those that say, ah, oh, whatever. And it is the response of faithful presence. That in the places God has put you, he expects you and wants you to simply be a presence that is genuinely faithful to him. Notice what David Fitch, who's a professor up at Northern Seminary outside of Chicago, said, faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make him concrete and real 
amid the world's struggles and pain. God simply uses you and me to be those people that always are saying God is here. And by the way, this is another deal, is believing that God is in the world. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But God is present, and I am present with God. Therefore, when we're together, I'm going to help you understand the presence of God in your life, or even in this company, or in this school, or in this organization where you have influence. So that's the place. Let's look at the practice that Paul used. Notice, practice is the method of our witness. Look, look at what Paul did. Paul's method of witness was to reason with those he met about Jesus and the resurrection. Let me say something about that. First of all, that first word, uh, <laughs> those of you who have known me for a while, I love English words that come from Greek words. So here's one. Dialogue, we get our word, you may have debate or reasoned in your translation. If you put English letters over the Greek letters, you get our word dialogue. And that's really more the picture of what he didn't, he wasn't there to reason and debate, as we'll see he does later. Uh, but he dialogued with those he met. But what was the dialogue around? Two things, the person of Jesus and the resurrection. Now, folks, let me remind you of this. The distinctive of the Christian faith is not, I'll just pick one thing, is not whether or not the Bible's true. Every major religion claims that their writings are the authentic uh, revelation, written revelation of God to that group of people. The distinctive of the Christian faith is the resurrection. Orthodoxy needs to be measured by the acceptance the embodiment, the reality, the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So when we talk, we talk about the person of Christ, what he did, and, and, uh, and most of all, how he was raised from the dead, how his death and burial was the payment for God's plan for making us right with him. His resurrection affirmed that and brought new life, initiated the new creation. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the new creation. We saw that's, that's already um, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the D-Day invasion of the establishment of the kingdom of God. V-Day those of you who know your World War II history, V-Day the victory day is when he comes and brings the new, new creation. So we have, you know, God has already invaded this broken creation with his presence, and you, his church, are those that which are, uh, are that uh, entity. So he talked about Jesus and the resurrection. Now notice this. Witness is best practice in both the message of Christ and service to others. Your witness People watch you day and night if you've told them you're a Christian. And one of the reasons people don't like Christians is because you tell me you go to church on Sunday, but you do the exact same things I do on Monday through Saturday. There is no difference in your life than my life. 
So it is a verbal witness, and I love the fact, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that we're training you in how to share your faith, a, a biblical faith. And there, is, there are things we can know to, to help share that, but it's not just verbal. It is about engaging the issues of life in the name of Jesus. Let me say this. We love Bible study, don't we? I mean, I've dedicated my whole life to it. And I, will, I love studying the, the original language and the original context. And some of you are really into some deep Bible studies. But let me, let me let you know this. If all we do is study the Bible and know the Bible, we have not been a complete witness. It is important that we live a life where he has placed us in order to fulfill the witness that he's caused us to be. And it is in our in engagement with culture, and we do that well at Legacy, the engagement with the issues of, of the world that people began to say, okay, what you told me is really what you believe. Behavior exposes belief. You can tell me anything. How you act shows me what you truly believe. And so let me read this to you. Uh, this is by Randy Pope, who... Uh, in 2019, retired from perimeter, uh, perimeter Church in Atlanta after 40 years. Atlanta's got those big churches, North Point, uh, Passion, Perimeter. But here's what he said, and I, I, this, as some of you know, this really rings well for me. It says, much of the way that eating creates no appetite for exercise so too I found that Bible study and prayer alone do not create mission-oriented Christians. But just as exercise creates the desire for food and drink, mission-related activities create an insatiable thirst and hunger to feed on the Word of God. If you're engaged in the lives of real people and the real issues and you're wanting to engage that with the gospel of Christ and live out a kingdom-centered life, you're going to starve to know what God's Word says. You're going to starve to know what the Holy Spirit is seeing that you may, may be missing in this. So my reminder to you is that our practice is the method, but that practice in, includes word and deed. Look at the next thing. People are the focus of our witness. Look what, look what, I'll just make the general statement, then we'll go to the verse. Paul was a witness to a variety of people with whom he came in contact daily. There were the Jews in the synagogue, there were the uh, God-fearing Greeks, like uh, Cornelius and others, and I love this other, and there was the whomevers. <laughs> Whoever came along, he didn't say, well, wait a minute, all right, who'd you vote for Caesar? Oh, that didn't vote for Caesar. But, who, you know, whose side are you on? And I'll, I'll talk to you about this. No, he, whoever came along in the marketplace, he did this in Corinth. He did this wherever he stopped. And, and of course, it stirred up some issues. But it also stirred up interest. Because that's why they invited him to the Areopagus. Because they're going, we've not heard what you're talking about before. And they invited him. But notice this, too. You say, well, okay, how do I, what are the connection points with people who, who don't agree with me in politics or religion or whatever? Look at this next thing. People, people's needs are connection points for witness. What are some of those connection points? Well, there's loneliness. 
uh, Zacchaeus. Like he was a pretty lonely man. He was isolated. Hopelessness. We're finding that loneliness and hopelessness are very rampant in our teenagers' lives, in our young, young adults' lives. Purposelessness. Where, what, what's the point of all this? Where am I going? Emptiness. A woman at the well in John 4 just could not satisfy and find what she was looking for because of her multiple husbands. Fear. Today, you, as you began to hear yesterday in the news, media started breaking into our football games and all those things about this, this war. Some of you are fearful. What's going to happen here? What's going to, is that going to expand, etc.? And these connection points are the connection points in which God has a presence and a purpose. Let me tell you about a couple of things that may, may be interesting to you or not. But to the whomevers. Um, some of you have heard of Jelly Roll. Have you seen his picture? You recognize his picture. He's got crosses and tears tattooed all over his face. And uh, he's, he's, matter of fact, his, I think he's saying the most honest things about a relationship to God now than any other genre. His song, uh, uh, Need a Favor. Now, his, his songs are PG-13, so moms don't go, don't play this on the way home from church, okay? But Need a Favor is the first song ever, again, check me, I read it on the internet, so I know it's true, that... Uh, it's the first song ever that was in the top 10 of both country and pop at the same time. If you listen to this song, he basically says, God, I need a favor, but I, who am I to accept, expect a savior because I'm this way? And he, uh, his, his songs, uh, 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 I think, I wrote a couple of them down, Save Me. The first time I heard of him was his Son of a Sinner. Have you seen that? These are honest songs, and and the the country western world doesn't know what to do with him. Well, they did give him a CMT reward award recently, but listen to what he said. Because you look at him and you go, "Whoa, that guy came to church." I don't know if I'd sit by him or not. So here's what he says, though. He says Jesus is going to die all over again. He's talking to Christians. If you don't portray him the way he was historically known to be, he says the history facts of Jesus favor Christianity in a wicked sort of way. He says, that dude is not the dude you've turned him into. The people you criticize and are, recognize, are, are, uh, are going against are the only people who had, Jesus had a relationship with. Well, that's an overstatement, but it's pretty true. And he goes on to say that those 12 guys were thugs. And that if, if Jesus was here, he'd be on motorcycles. Now, nah, you know. Surely Jesus would drive a Subaru. I mean, I, I don't know what the... Yeah, the, be careful not to put Jesus into your, your world. But what I love what he said, he said is, we're going to kill Jesus all over again until we let him be who he really is. The other guy is Oliver Anthony. Have you heard his song, Richmond, North of Richmond? Y'all obviously don't listen to the same music I do. <laughs> this guy, 
Last I looked, seven, over 77 million views of the original post. It's been all, everywhere from this. This guy, uh, West Virginian hillbilly, basically. And he was at the lowest point in his life. And he said to Jesus, he finally got on his knees and just said to Jesus, um, I'll call it even, <laughs> as if he had, as they, but we all have our, our salvation language. But he said, let's just call it even, and from this day on, I will do everything for you and with you. 30 days later, literally 30 days later, Radio West Virginia posted this song and has gone crazy viral. If any of you watched the, uh, the Republican debate, they played part of that song. Right? That, that's, that, that's the guy. But you know what he does now? Before, every, every time he gets, not everyone, but all, everyone and most everyone I've seen, he reads scripture. People come together because of this song, and it's about how unfair it is to the common man, and you know, th those kind of things. And, and this, this culture of, of those who feel like they've been left out and overlooked by the rich man, rich men north of Richmond, you know who those are, have caught on that. When that group gathers, he reads scripture to them because he said, from this day on, I will do everything with you and for you. Folks, I don't know how God works. I don't know all the ins and outs, but those are two two unexpecting guys and I think I tell you that because of the fact that God will use all of us in our witness if we say to him God we'll call it even because of Jesus and from this day on I'll do everything I do for you and with you and I don't know what would follow last thing presence is the power of your witness Paul was an effective witness because he trusted God present, was present in both the city and in his life. Everywhere Paul went, he, he saw, that was the, the genius of this moment, he saw this city, he was disturbed because it was filled with idols, but he said, you know what, they know about God, they're just trying to figure out God, and these idols are the way they're doing it, so I'm not going to go, you know, you heathens for having idols, just stop it. And he could have read them a bunch of Old Testament passages and got all over them, but what did he say? No, no, I'm going to build a bridge. I'm going to connect with you. And matter of fact, he says, you know what? It will be, you have a God out there, and there really was an idol to the unknown God. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to that person. And he led them uh, to Jesus. So again, what is the answer here? Look at this. Second quote from David Fritsch. The, the Bible's answer to this question, how does God restore the presence over the whole earth, is the church. That's you. God's plan is to become present in the world in and through a people. That's you. And then invite the world to join him. How does that happen? In the simplest terms, a group of people gather and become present to God. God then leads. God then works. God then moves. And it's our responsibility. Notice I haven't said evangelism in a long time, have I? Evangelism is just simply telling the good news. You're a witness where God has placed you. He has said, 
build bridges of conversation and lifestyle to those around you, and I will be present. Now, some of you may be asking, I talked about my calling to ministry in New Mexico. Some of you may be wondering, well, do I, am I called? And this is the last thing I want to say. Is uh, Patty Parker in our church? Uh, she is a writer, and uh, she writes blogs for our seminary. Now, she's a Dallas Theological Seminary grad, but we let foreigners help us out sometimes. <laughs> And uh, her last blog was called The Calling. And what she wrestled with in The Calling was, are we, was she called? Are we called? And she says it's, it's hard to know about the presence of God and uh, knowing this about herself. And she quoted, she quoted the, the lyrics from uh, Chris Rice's song from the early 2000s called... Here's what it says. Sometimes finding you is like trying to smell the color nine. Think about that. Some of you are saying, Gene, I, I, I love what you said today. If you didn't, don't tell me. But I, I, get, I get what you said today. But in that, I don't know how to do that. That's like Smelling the color nine, how does all of that fit? Start with knowing that God is present. Start with knowing in your relationship with Christ, here's how she concluded, based on scriptures, we are all called to use our gifts and vocations to move his story forward. You and I are called in Christ Jesus to be a witness to his presence where you live, learn, work, and play. And if we will do that, the kingdom of God will be on earth as it is in heaven. That begins with you realizing God is present in your life. God is with you. God is for you. And if you'll call things even, through the miracle and the blessing of the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be his witness where he's placed you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the example of Paul, your apostle. He went to places we wouldn't go. He said things and, that we hadn't even thought to say, yet, God, he did that faithfully because his life was captured by you. Father, we confess today we are all called. We confess today that where you've placed us is part of your providence and that where you've placed us is our mission field and that the whomevers in our lives are those with whom we are witness to you and your resurrection and the difference you make in life. So I pray that you empower through the Holy Spirit this body, these who gather, and those today who may have been where Oliver Anthony was, Get what Jelly Roll called us to. And they're ready to say yes to you today that they will know your presence and they will say yes. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.